Great job. All right, turn your Bibles again, please, to the book of Romans, chapter 2. Romans, chapter 2. We are continuing our studies on life-changing principles, truths from God's Word that would literally change your life if you apply it. Not, not just because we know it, but we apply it to our lives. And we're focusing this week a part two on the principle of judgment, specifically God's judgment. And so I hope you have your uh, insert notes. You'll follow along with me. And I also hope if you, did, if you came today did not bring a Bible that you'll borrow one from the rack in front of you. The seat in front of you should have a, a copy of God's Word. Please use that and follow along with us. Most of the verses I'll have on the screen, but some we will turn to together. And I want you to be able to follow along with us by having a Bible with you if you did not bring one. All right. Um, when I went to Bible college, my first day there, we were lined up and signed up for classes and signed up where you're going to room at. And I, there was a man behind me. His name was David also. And we started talking as we were in line to sign up for classes. And uh, we hit it off very well. We just seemed to uh, have a kindred spirit, you want to call it. Just, and, uh, and when we got through signing for class, he says, uh, he says, David, speaking to me, he says, uh, do you have a roommate? Do you have a room? I said, no. I said, why don't we room together? I said, sure. So we end up rooming together all four years of Bible college, become good friends. We still keep in contact with each other. But I remember he lived in Brandon. I lived in Land Lakes, and we went to school in South Florida. And when school was out uh, the freshman year, he asked me, he said, uh, David, would you be willing to drop me off my home? Uh, he didn't have a car. I did. I said, sure. So on the way back, I dropped him off at Brandon. And when I dropped him off, he looked at me. He said, before you know it, we'll be headed back for our sophomore year. I said, yeah, I hope that is a long time. <laughs> but as anything does, it went like, like that. So I picked him up, and he smiled at me. He said, remember what I said? I said, yeah, before we know it. And as we're heading down there for our sophomore year, he said, before you know it, we're going to be heading, uh, having our summer break from the sophomore year. And so, uh, so it went through the sophomore year, went by very fast, and we headed back home for the summer. And he said, before you know it, you're going to be picking me up for the junior year. And that became a common phrase of him. And then our last year, he said, before you know it, you'll be uh, picking me up for my uh, senior year. And we went through that one by very quick. And, and all of a sudden, he said, before we know it, we're going to be graduating. I said, wow, went by so fast. And so we, uh, on, we did. We graduated together. My, his last name was Miller. Mine was Peterson. We were very close together and getting our diplomas. And the last thing he said to me before we left school and went to our individual ministries, he says, David, before we know it, we're going to be standing before the Lord, giving an account of our lives. I said, wow. You know, time goes by so fast. So Christian, before you know it, we'll be standing before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ and giving an account of our lives. The question is, are you ready? Are you prepared for that day? So let's begin talking about the principles of God's judgment. I wish we could spend more time in Romans 2, but there's three principles in this text I like to look at concerning the judgment of God. This is true for both the believer and the unbeliever. And first of all, God's Judgment is the first principle. It's based upon truth. It's based upon truth. Look in verse 2 there, Romans 2, verse 2. It said, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to what? Truth. God's judgment of men is not according to hearsay, gossip, or opinion, 
or man's evaluation is according to truth. The Bible says God is a God of truth, and everything we do, it will be stand before him, and he'll judge you according to what's true, not what people think about you, but what is true about you. God will judge. So his judgment is based upon truth. Number two, or letter B, is, is according to one's deeds. It's according to one's deeds. It says in verse 6 of chapter 2 there, who will render to every man according to his deeds. Both judgments, the judgment of the unbeliever, the judgment of the believer, are based upon one's works. We're going to see that clearly today. The works that you do, the life that you live here on this earth, one day you'll give account to God, and his judgment is based upon truth. It's also based upon one's deeds. And let us see the third one. His judgment is impartial. His judgment is impartial. Look in verse 11, the last verse there. It said, for there is no respect of persons. Respect a person means to give consideration to someone because of his position, his wealth, his influence, his popularity or appearance, even nationality. Because the two verses prior to that, it's whether you're Jew or Gentile. God does not favor one nation, one people, or one person above the other. It's impartial. So when you stand before God, it's going to be based upon his judgments, based upon truth. It's according to your deeds, and also it's impartial. He will not favor you or someone above you, anyone else. Let me give you some other verses on this impartiality. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Colossians 3, verse 25, But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. There is no respect of persons. 1 Peter 1, 17, and if you call on the, the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. So the fact that God' judgment is based upon truth, he's impartial according to your deeds. My friend, that's the principles of judgment. Now, let's talk about the, the day of judgment. Now, last week we began the study... We talked about the judgment of the unbeliever. I want to do a little review of that, and then we're going to get into the judgment of the Christian. But we saw the verse we looked at last week. I'll just quote it for you. Acts 17.30, talking about God's judgment. 17.30, says, In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, and now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he would judge the world, in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. So this verse basically says God's appointed a day. Now, when you get to heaven, I don't believe he has this, but if God had an office, had a desk he set at, behind his desk was a calendar, you would find on that calendar a day appointed God's going to judge this world. He's appointed a day in which he would judge the world he would do so in righteousness and in truth, also by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will be the person of the Godhead that would judge both the believer and the unbeliever. There's a judgment day for the unbeliever. We covered this last week. Let me briefly cover it again. A day is reserved for the unbeliever to be judged. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, 
and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. So God has set aside a certain day to judge the unbeliever. A day has been reserved. A place has been reserved. See if you remember, how, see how will you remember if I taught you well. What's the name of the judgment place of the unbeliever? You remember it's in Revelation chapter 20? It's called the great white throne. Great because sinners of all time will be there and white because it is based upon righteousness. So the place reserved, the great white throne judgment, and you get a chance to read about Revelation 20. We covered that in detail last week, 11 through 15. And basically what it says twice, that these people, unbelievers, will be judged every man according to his works. And the purpose of that judgment, and listen carefully, please. So many people today think there's going to be one great general judgment, which both believers and unbelievers stand before. That is not true. There are distinct judgments. And the judgment that's distinct for the unbeliever of all human history, the great white throne. And the Bible says there you'll be judged according to your works. Why? To determine the degree of suffering you have in hell. The judgment does not determine your eternal destiny. You determine that by your faith or rejection of Christ. When you choose to trust Christ, you're determined to live eternity in heaven. If you choose to reject Christ, you're choosing to live, uh, determined to live in a place called hell. So the judgment is not determine that. You determine that. So all those at the great white throne are unbelievers. They're there not to determine where they're going to go, but how much they're going to suffer when they get there. And he's going to judge every man according to his works. But there is a judgment day for the believer that's distinct from the unbeliever. The timing of the judgment of the believer is it comes first. God would judge his people before he judges the unbeliever. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, I believe the verse will be on the screen. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel? So he's going to begin with the believer. And then he'll go to, at another time, those who obey not the gospel, those who do not trust Christ as Savior. So look very please. The judgment of the unbeliever, the great white throne. The judgment for the believer is going to occur before that time. But what is the judgment of the believer called? It's called the judgment seat of Christ. Turn with me, you would please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Page 1627. The timing is before that of the unbeliever. The place, the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to look at this in great detail this morning. How about you? If I'm going to stand before the Lord, I, I want to know what's going to happen. I want to know what I can expect, and I want to know how I can be ready. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 10, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, here the Apostle Paul was speaking to believers. In fact, notice he included himself. He didn't say for you. He said for we. He included himself. For we must how many? All. Circle that word, please. All. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? That everyone, notice that all and everyone, 
may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Notice, first of all, everyone must appear. This is true of every believer. Everyone knows Christ as Savior will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now listen carefully, please. This is the judgment for the church only, the body of Christ. The believers from the day of Pentecost to the day of rapture, that makes up the church, the body of Christ. They're the ones going to be raptured out before the tribulation begins. They're the ones going to stand the judgment seat. Not the, unbel- not the Old Testament saints. They are judged at another time. The judgment of the Old Testament saints will occur after the tribulation before the millennial reign of Christ. We know that to be true for several reasons why. Remember when Jesus came to raise Lazarus from the dead? He told Martha, your brother shall rise again. How'd she respond? I know he shall rise again in the day and the time, the resurrection of the last days. The days that precede the coming, the return of Christ to this earth. In the book of Job, chapter 19, it said, Job says, I know my Redeemer liveth, and he shall reign upon this earth in the latter days. Then he says that I shall see him in my flesh, the resurrection of the Old Testament saints. We know the, the um, rapture. It said the dead in Christ shall rise first. The term in Christ refers only to the church, the body of Christ. So at the judgment seat of Christ, it is the church, the body of Christ, those that were saved since Pentecost to the rapture, that group of believers. The Old Testament saints will be judged, resurrected, after the tribulation, before the millennial reign of Christ. They'll be judged based upon the judgment there, or how they're going to rule and reign with Christ during the millennium. But first of all, I want you to notice here, according to Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we must all appear. Listen carefully, please. The word judgment seat, you know, in the original language, is the word bema seat. Now, when the Corinthians heard that term, they knew exactly what that meant because they knew there was a bema seat in Corinth. It was the bema seat of Caesar. Caesar would come to Corinth. They had Olympic games there. The Olympics were founded by the Greeks, taken and followed continually by the Romans. There was a, a big arena in Rome. There was one in Corinth. And Caesar would come to Corinth and watch the Olympic Games. He'd sit upon a throne, a chair, high and lifted up, and watch the games, the people that competed in the games, and those who won would come before him and receive rewards. And it says, we shall all stand not before the bema seat of Caesar, but the bema seat of who? Christ. The picture here is Christ is in heaven. And he's watching you, how you run the Christian life, how you live the Christian life, run the race. And one day you stand before him and receive recognition for him, what you've done for him. Everyone must appear. But also, everyone will give an account. Do not turn there. I'll be the verse will be on the screen. Everyone must appear. Everyone will give an account. Romans 14, verse 10. It's the latter part of verse 10. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Speaking of the church of Rome here. But he says in verse 12, So then, every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Please listen. One day, as a believer, you will appear before the Lord Jesus Christ and you will give an account of yourself. I will not give an account for you. You will not give an account for me. I will give an account for David Peterson. And I'll stand before the Lord and give an account what I've done for Christ since I've been saved. You will do the same. 
at the judgment seat of Christ. Let me give you four important truths about this. Four important truths about the judgment seat of Christ. First of all, this judgment is for believers only. This judgment is for believers only. Remember, the unsaved were judged at another time, another place called the Great White Throne. This is for Christians only. Number two, it will occur after the rapture when we're all in heaven. The next event on God's calendar, if he had one, is the rapture of the church, where he will literally come and snatch us all away to go to heaven. How many are looking forward to that time? I believe it's coming very soon. But that's the next thing. But when that happens, we're all caught up, taken to heaven. And while we're in heaven, that's when the judgment seat will occur. There'll be great tribulation on the earth, but in heaven is when it's called the judgment seat of Christ. Number three, God will judge the works we have done since we are saved, not our sin. God will judge the works we have done since we're saved, not our sin. How many can say hallelujah for that? Who gave an account to God for your sin? Jesus Christ did. On the cross, the Bible said he became sin for us. My sin, your sin was placed upon him, and he gave an account to God, and he died in our place, suffered our hell, and paid our debt. And we believe in him, we can have eternal life. So not my sin. Interesting, Romans says, now therefore, there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. The Bible said when God forgives, he remembers no more. So your sin will not be brought up, will not be remembered. It's not an issue. Sin's not an issue at this judgment. The issue is what you have done for Christ since you were saved for the purpose to receive rewards. And that's number four. This judgment would determine the degree of rewards we will receive in heaven. Determine the degree of rewards. Now look up here again, please. The great white throne determines the degree of punishment in hell. The judgment seat of Christ determines the different degree of rewards in heaven. Neither judgment determines one's destiny. That's determined by you, by what you do with Jesus Christ. So this judgment of judgment of Christ is already in heaven. You're there and you're standing for the Lord, giving an account of what you've done for your life for him. So they were talking about the principle of judgment. We're talking about the day of judgment. Number three, look at the impact of God's judgment. The impact of God's judgment. Are you still in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? Look in verse 10 again, then we're going to go to verse 11. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. Notice the truth of this judgment strikes fear. The truth, the impact of God's judgment, the truth of it strikes fear. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, he said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he has done, whether it be good or bad. And we'll come back to the phrase good or bad in just a moment. But notice we'll all stand there. But look in verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also may manifest in your consciousness. Look at me, please. So many times, and i done it too, we use verse 11 talking about hell. That knowing the terror of hell, the judgment of the unsaved, we persuade men to trust Christ. That's taking the verse out of context. The context is not unbelievers. The context is not hell. The context is the judgment seat of Christ. 
He said, knowing therefore. In other words, what is the word therefore, therefore? Goes back to what he mentioned in verse 10. We're all going to stand before Jefferson. Knowing therefore. It says, uh, basically, the, the terror of the Lord. The word terror, that means fear or dread. This judgment to many Christians will be a time of fear, a time of dread. For the believer who does not live their life for Jesus Christ, for the believer who does not honor the Lord with his life and live for eternal values rather than temporal values, that would be a time of dread for them. Now, they'll be in heaven. They say, hallelujah, I'm in heaven. But that's not the issue. You're already in heaven. The issue, what did you do for Christ since you were saved? That's the issue. That's what will be judged. And standing, standing before the Lord can be a fearful thing. Standing before God can be a fearful thing. Hebrews 10, verse 30. For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Wow. So this is a time of fear and dread for many believers. By the way, what will your attitude be? Based upon, as a Christian, how you've been living, are you looking forward to it? Or are you saying, oh, oh, oh I don't know how do you dread it. The thought of one day standing before his Savior unsettled Paul. It was the contemplation of that moment that moved him to fear the Lord and compel him to, to, service, to serve the Lord. The word terror means to fear or dread. And the fact Paul said, we, I one day stand for the Lord, the thought of that was unsettling to Paul. And so that's what impelled him to live for Christ. Knowing one day I'm going to stand before God and give an account of my life, I want to do it with happiness and not dread. And so uh, standing before God can be a fearful thing. The fear of the Lord affects people's lives. Having fear of God affects a person's life. In Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogancy, and the evil way. It affects your emotions. Fear of God causes you to hate things that are wrong. Proverbs 16, 6, by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. It affects your behavior. So find me a man who fears God, and I'll show you a man that, that's trying to live a life that's pleasing him. And basically, uh, hopefully, the fear of God will cause you to serve the Lord. There will be two types of believers when Christ returns. If you would, keep your finger where we're at. Go with me to 1 John, please. Everybody turn there. 1 John, page 1715 for those of you in the church Bible. 1 John, chapter 2. Now, not the Gospel of John. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That's the Gospel of John. This is 1 John, near the back of your Bibles, a few books before Revelation. You start in Revelation, go forward. You've got Revelation, Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. Here it talks about the coming of Christ. Our music director had so many songs talking about Christ's return. And he is coming soon. I believe that very intently. But notice when he shall appear, there will be two kinds of Christians. Look what it says here. 1 John 2, 28. 1 John 2, 28. John says, And now, little children. That's a term of endearment for believers. It said, Little children, abide in him. 
That's the idea of remaining faithful and true and serving the Lord. Abide in him. Why? That when he shall what? Appear to the rapture. When he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be what? Ashamed before him at his coming. Some, so he's talking about one who is confident and not afraid. There are some Christians that would not fear that time, would not be afraid. He has confidence. We're confident to be free of fearless courage, a cheerful courage, and confidence. So for those of you that are living for Christ, honoring him with your life, you can look forward to that time because you're going to receive praise and recognition for God for living for him. That's one type of Christian. The second one is those that are ashamed. Those that are ashamed. The word ashamed means a thought that uh, one shrinking from God because through guilt, uh, shame of conscious guilt. The word ashamed means the thought is shrinking from God through the shame of conscious guilt. The believer who's living for himself and not for the Lord, hallelujah, he'll go to heaven. That's settled by trusting Christ. But the thought of standing before the Lord and giving account of his life is not a time of courage, but it's a time of shame. Which one will you be, Christian? Which one will you be? Now remember, how many of us are going to appear? All appear. All of us will give an account. Will you do that with, with courage and, and, and excitement? Or will you do that with dread and fear? The impact of God's judgment is a truth that strikes fear, but also it's a fact that demands our attention. It's a fact that demands our attention. Go with me now to Second I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You can let go of 1 John. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, here we have a detailed description of the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, please. Here he describes this day of judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. And you're going to see here is a fact that should demand our attention. Look in chapter 3, verse 10, please. Chapter 3, verse 10. It says here in verse 10, According to the grace of God which was given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But he says now, But let every man take heed how he build thereupon. What's the word take heed mean? It has the idea to turn one's thoughts, direct one's attention. You know what it literally means? It means, Hey, hey, listen up, pay attention. And the idea is one day, Christian, you'll stand before the Lord. So many people seem to be sleeping to that fact. My friend, it'll be here before you know it. It's coming. So he says, take heed how you build. The word build has the idea of how you live your life. It's a, a, a word talking about serving the Lord. He says, take heed how you live and how you serve the Lord. Look what he says uh, next. He said, our lives, why should this demand our attention? Because our lives will be evaluated. How you lived your life would be evaluated at that time. Verse 11. He said, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, talking about Christ, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. Those phrases, those building materials. Look up here, please. He's talking about serving the Lord, living for Christ. He used the word building 
upon the foundation of Christ. Talking about you're saved. The foundation has been laid by Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. Now, if any man build upon this, any man begin to serve the Lord now that you're saved, there's two kinds of building material, and both reflect the value of your works. One is gold, silver, precious stones. The other is what? Wood, hay, and stubble. One refers to something that's valuable and profitable. The other one's talking about something that's useless and worthless. And your works as a believer will fall in one of those two categories. Either be gold, silver, precious stone, or wood, hay, and stubble. Our lives will be evaluated. Number two, our works will be judged. Why should this demand my attention? Because our lives will be evaluated and our works will be judged. Look in verse 13, please. Notice our works, they're tested by fire. Our works will be tested and revealed by fire. Verse 13, every man's work, talking about every believer, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day, talking about the judgment day, shall declare it, because it, talking about your work, shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try a man's work what sort it is. Ladies, when you wash your clothes, what's the first thing you do before you put it in the washer? You sort them. You sort the whites from the what? Darks. At this judgment, your works will be sorted. That of gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. We saw back there in Corinthians, it said that basically, and we quote the verse for you again, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body, whether it be good or bad. The word good means profitable, beneficial. The word bad is not talking about sinful, talking about something that's worthless, unprofitable. So look up here, please. As a Christian, you will appear before God, give an account of your life. All your works you've done for Christ since you were saved be brought out, made manifest, for that day shall declare it, and your works shall be tested, tried by fire. And determine what sort it is. The word sort means what value, what kind it is. Now, when you put gold, silver, and precious stone in the fire, what happens to it? It purifies, it makes it more valuable. But when you put wood, hay, and stubble, what happens to it? It's burned up. So your works will fall in one of those two sorts, one of two categories, good or bad. And based upon that, some will be rewarded. Look in verse 14, please. Some will be rewarded. If any man's work abide, to might abide the fire, makes it through the fire without being burned up, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a what? Now remember, the purpose of this is rewards, not judgment for sin. That will happen at Calvary. What you've done for Christ, be recognized and be rewarded. Matthew 16, 27, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he shall reward every man according to his works. Revelation twenty two twelve. And behold, I come quickly, Christ says, my reward is with me to give to every man according as his works shall be. Some will be rewarded, but some will suffer loss of reward. Look in verse 15, please. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss but he himself shall be what? Look at me, please. The loss is not loss of salvation. Remember, your salvation is not the judgment here because you're already in heaven. He's not going to boot you out. You're there. The purpose is rewards. Those who serve the Lord shall be rewarded. 
those who live for self shall suffer loss reward, but he himself shall be what? Your salvation is secure. Though you have nothing for which God can recognize reward, your salvation is still secure. Why? Because of the foundation, the foundation of Jesus Christ. Have you ever seen a house that had a concrete slab, but a wood frame walls catch on fire? When the fire is done, what's left? Only the foundation. All the framing is burned up, but the foundation is still there. My friend, all your works might be all burned up. You're still secure because the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. So the fact of God's judgment demands our attention because our lives will be evaluated. Our works will be judged. But number three, our motives will be exposed. Our motives will be exposed. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, please. Chapter 4 carries on the same thought as chapter 3, talking about the judgment seat of Christ. And look what he says in chapter 4, verse 5. He said, therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. When the Lord comes, remember, he's going to bring it into the judgment seat of Christ. Don't judge anything before that time until the Lord comes, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have the praise of God. Here's what he's saying. God said, before that time, don't judge anything. Let God be the judge. But he says, at that time, when he appears and takes you to heaven, he will bring to light, bring out in the open, the hidden things of darkness. The word darkness is not talking about sin. talking about things you do for Christ nobody sees. We know that because the latter part says, then shall every man have the praise of God. God's not going to praise you for your sin. But he'll praise you for things you do in public or in private. So many things that people do, Christians do. Nobody sees, but God sees. And he'll bring to light the things hidden in darkness, so he's going to judge what you did. But also, he'll make manifest the counsels of the heart. The word counsel means motives. So Christian, listen carefully. He's going to judge what you did and why you did it. Now, we can judge the what with our eyes, but we cannot judge the why, the heart. For man looketh on the outer appearance, but God looks on the what? So God sees what you did. He said, that's good, but why did you do it? That's an issue. And by the way, why you did it, the motive, determines whether it's a good work or bad work. Your motive determines whether it's going to be burned up or remain your motives your motives will determine that wrong motive no reward a verse will be on the screen Matthew 6 1 Jesus said take heed that you do not your alms the word alms means your righteous acts your good deeds before men to be seen of them otherwise you have no reward of your father which is in heaven in other words you can do the right thing for the wrong reason no reward so many believers are doing good things, but they're doing it for the praise of men. They're doing it to be seen of men. And God said, you have no reward for me. So wrong motive, wrong reward. Right motive, God does not forget. In Hebrews 6.10, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. So that what's the proper motive for service? Is not to be seen of men, but the love for Christ or his love for us. And so that will be judged. 
Gawa judge, what you've done and why. Now, we've got to wrap it up. Our time is practically gone. So listen, please. We're talking about the principle of judgment. A truth that strikes fear, a fact that demands our attention, and next, a principle that requires a decision. This truth principle requires a decision on the life of the believer. One scripture, go now to Joshua, please. Joshua, the Old Testament. Joshua 24, page 370, this verse, and we're going to wrap it up. Joshua 24. The truth that one day will stand before God's judgment will strike fear to many believers. It is a fact that demands our attention and a principle that requires a decision. And hopefully, based upon what we've learned, you will make a decision today to live for the Lord, to honor Him with your life, knowing one day you will give an account what you've done for Him. Joshua 24, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Joshua 24, look in verse 14, please. Here he's speaking, this is Joshua speaking to Israel prior to going in the promised land. And notice what he says, Joshua 24, verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. Verse 15, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will what? Christian, based upon the truth that you'll stand before God, choose today whom you're going to serve. You can live for this world, the things of this world, and one day stand before God in dread and an idea of, of shame. Or you can live for the Lord and honor Him with your life. Live for the things that have eternal value, not temporal value. What has eternal value? What can I live for that I know that I'll hear God say, well done? Two things. The souls of men. The souls of men live for eternity. And the Word of God. Both of them. You live for the Word of God and reaching people for the gospel of Christ. Those are two things that are, uh, have eternal value. And uh, so, now, look up here and we'll close. Go ahead and close your Bibles, please. And look at, we're going to look at the screen in a moment. We're talking about something that will be here before you know it, Christian. <laughs> it's coming. And sometimes we live like it's not going to happen or live like it's a long time away. How many realize the older you get, the faster time flies? Amen. It's going to be here before you know it. I don't want you to be surprised, Christian. When we stand there, we look at each other and say, Pastor, maybe we talked about that. You told me all about that. And here we are. Hope you can do it with a smile on your face. Ooh, I'm excited what the Lord's going to bless me with. Or you can do it in dread. Do it in shame. And Christian, all depends on how you're living. What are you living for? Are you seeking to honor the Lord with your life? Are you living for the things of eternity? Are you laying treasures up in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt, where thieves cannot break through to steal? But are you, are you living, laying treasures in heaven where moth cannot do that? I pray that you are doing that. But please don't misunderstand. Remember, both judgments are based upon one's works. And it's easy to think, well, it's my works that save me. No, it is not. Your works don't save you from hell. Your works don't save you to get to heaven. Look on the screen, please. 
two verses many of you know. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says, therefore, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 25, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. I can give you more verses, but please don't misunderstand. Your works will save you. It's Christ that saves you. It's my faith, my dependence upon Jesus, what he did for me that gets me to heaven. But once I'm saved, God would judge my works, not determine my salvation, but determine my rewards I have in heaven. If you're here today and you haven't trusted Christ, can I plead with you? Can I beg you? Trust Christ because you will stand before the great white throne and your works will be judged according to truth. And he's going to judge that. And he's going to judge your works, not to determine where you're going to go, but determine how much you'll be punished in hell. But listen, please. Jesus was punished in your place. When Jesus died, he took that suffering you've earned upon himself. He died for you, was buried, rose again. And if you trust him, you go to heaven. So through Christ, you can void great white throne and look forward to the judgment seat of Christ. So what have you done with Christ? Have you trusted him as an unbeliever? Do it today. As a Christian, are you living for him? I pray that you are. Let's bow together, please. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, my message today primarily is for the believer to realize that we must all appear. We shall all give an account of ourselves before God. And all the things we've done for Christ will be judged Judged by a fire, determine what sort it is, whether good or bad, profitable or worthless. Many will receive rewards, many will not. Many will see that time as a time of excitement and joy. Others will see it as a time of dread and fear. And it's all based upon how you live in your life, Christian. You may say, Pastor, to be honest, I am not looking forward to that. Because I have not been living for the Lord. Most of my life has been focused on self and what pleases me. Christian, you can change that now. Why not determine to do what Joshua called upon Israel to do? Choose you this day whom you serve. Quit serving yourself and your own pleasures and serve the Lord. Live for him, honor him, and one day he'll recognize that and reward you accordingly. But if you're here today and you never trusted Christ, whether you're sitting in the sanctuary or watching by live stream, my friend, my plea, and most importantly, God's plea, is you would trust Christ. You can avoid the judgment of a holy God at the great white throne by trusting Christ as Savior. He is the escape from that judgment. If you've never trusted him before, let's do it right now. Right where you're sitting, talk to God. Place your dependence and trust in Christ as Savior. You say, Pastor, I'd like to do that. Why not talk to God and tell him that? Maybe say something like this. Just say to God of heaven, I understand and admit that I'm a sinner. Because I've sinned, I've earned, I deserve your punishment. But God, I believe your son Jesus was punished in my place. The judgment that I deserve, that I have earned, Jesus took upon himself. And there on the cross, he suffered and bled and died for my sin in my place. 
It was buried, and I believe he rose again. And right here today, realizing I cannot save myself, I'm trusting Christ to save me, forgive me, and give me a home in heaven. I'm trusting Christ as Savior here today. My friend, did that make sense to you? Did you trust Christ as your Savior? If you did, I'd like to know that. I want to close in prayer in one moment. I'd like to include those who made that decision here today. My prayer for you does not save you. Christ saves you when you trusted him. But if you did that today and would allow me the joy and privilege simply to pray for you, I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you I just want to pray for you. I'm going to do this with heads bowed and eyes closed. No one wouldn't be put on the spot. But if that made sense to you today, and the first time you prayed to receive Christ as Savior, right away, simply raise your hand so I can pray for you. Anyone at all? Pastor, here's my hand. Please pray for me. I trusted Christ today. Father, I hope that means that someone raised their hand, that each one has already made that decision. Heaven's our home. We would, we're so excited about that. But Lord, as Christians, I pray we would examine our lives and make sure we're living for you, seeking to honor you and serve you every day of our lives, every decision we make to keep you and eternity in mind. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you.